You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening? How are you? You know, there's a blind man. He's in Jericho. Blind people can't see, you know. But they can hear very good. And he hears that someone named Jesus is passing through. The gentleman gets up as a blind man can get up. And he follows the sound. And someone tells him he's passing by because he can't see him. And he begins to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Loud. And the disciples told him to shut up. But the more they told him to shut up, the Bible says the more he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And finally Jesus said, bring him in. He says, good cheer. The master wants to see you. So they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus asked the blind man, what did you want me to do for you? I mean, it's, I find it comical. I would have said, duh. <laughs> Wouldn't you? The Bible, I find the Bible very interesting. I have a scratch and sniff Bible now. <laughs> I just got back from Jerusalem or Israel a, a, week, a week and a half ago. So I'm a little dingy right now, forgive me. But I find it so comical that he says, what do you want me to do? Uh, so she said, I want to see. And Jesus touched him and healed him immediately. Why would he want him to say, what do you want me to do? I think it's called prayer, don't you think? It's called prayer. For me, being born in biologically, culturally, socially, I was brought up in the traditional church. We had repetitive prayers. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Let's pray first before I get in trouble. (laughs) Father, in the name of Jesus, would you please go before us? May you speak to us. Lord, although my voice is raspy and I'm hacking and coughing, would you just give me a little bit of time so I may be able to reflect and dispense and convey your good word to each and everyone that's here. May you be glorified, edified, magnified. May your glory, Father, just creep and saturate every piece of our heart and every crevice of our mind and conscience. May you get a hold of it and touch us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can imagine my surprise when I became a Christian. You see, again, I was raised in a traditional home. Uh, baptized as a little boy, did my confirmation. I did my first communion. I'm waiting for my second still. Uh, I went through all the ritualism, ceremonialism that's supposed to do, but I was living a lie. In order for me to partake of communion, uh, there is mandatory confession. And you have to go and talk to someone who's probably worse than you are. But you know what I mean? I didn't say nothing funny, nothing at all. You're laughing. I'm not. 
and, and then to add injury is that you're supposed to go there and exhaust your confession. And yet you end up by saying, uh, Father, forgive me for it. I, I do not remember the rest or anything else. That's a lie. And instead of walking out of confession, you feel more condemned and more guilty. Later on, I realized, you know, that's my, the religion of my mom and the religion of my grandma. But I love it. I'll fight for it. My dog, Texas, Catholic. Oh, uh, anyway. I might as well say it, a Roman Catholic. And, uh, and so I will die even that. So you can imagine when I became a Christian, I became a Christian like all over here. There's four types of people in the Bible. And I was one of those four types of people. You See, you're either here by your own choice. You're, you made a decision to be here, correct? You wanted to be here. The second group, maybe someone brought you here and you're all mad. You're mad dogging. You're, you're, you're there like, man, I'm not supposed to be here, man. You don't want me to go. I'm, I have to be here. Right on. And then there's the other kind. The other kind, they're basically uh, they're just at the right time, at the right place, and Jesus finds you. And then you have the fourth type of person, the person that is not here. In other words, people br- brought people to Jesus in proxy. You remember the, the Roman centurion. Who said, my servant is sick. The servant was not there. He says, just say the word and he will be healed. That's healing or salvation by proxy. In other words, he wasn't there. The Syrophoenician woman said, my daughter is demon possessed. She's not here. So although you may have a loved one who's not a believer, although you may have a son or a daughter who is dislocated or deviated in life, although you're the parent, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're the grandma, you're the grandpa, although, although knucklehead's not here, you can lift up his name, her name tonight, even though they're not here. You understand? I went to a concert in Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel. My affiliation with Calvary Chapel this year will be 30 years. But I, I got saved in 1975. What are my second, what I will call second uh, alterations? What is an alteration? Well, an alteration is something uh, to make you different or changing into something else. It's called a transmutation. Like Paul the Apostle, he went through a big time transmutation. The gentleman really went through an extreme modification. Now, he was changed. He was different, but without changing into something else. You see, when I received the Lord, that was my second alteration. When I received the Lord in that second alteration where I went through this modification, this transmutation. When I mean transmutation, I had a guilty conscience. God healed my conscience. I had a horrible past. God forgave my past. I had a horrible vice. You name any drug in the world, I took it. Even Freon. (laughs) Inhalers, all kinds. You think about everything. I was gone. I was gone. So you can imagine when, when they gave me a Bible and it says, the Lord, man, the Lord has changed your heart. And I said, whatever, man. I received the Lord on a Saturday night at a rock concert. I was taken by someone. They tricked me. <laughs> it was my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend who left me. She left me for Jesus. When she left me, she goes, I'm in love with another guy. He's not like you. He's Jewish. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You went to parochial school, man. What's happening? 
He said, you don't understand. His name is Jesus Christ. Oh, and Jesus saved my life. Oh, well, me too. I'm a Christian. No, you're not. He says, you're not. You're crazy. And so she left me after three years being together. And it was her that said, I'm going to a concert. Would you like to go? What kind of concert is it? It's a rock concert. Of course, she's speaking Christianese already. I didn't know that. She's speaking about Jesus Christ. So I sat there in the fourth row at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, just mad dogging, angry. Good music. It was vibe music. It was wonderful. The people around me, they looked more drunk and loaded than I was. And the pastor spoke. He spoke about salvation. He spoke about forgiveness. He spoke about putting your name in the role in, 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 the, in the heaven's book. See, I'm all into that. I already know I'm a Christian. I don't live it, but that's the way. I'm already, I already went through my ritualism. But then he said something that really sparked me up. He said, the blood of Christ can cleanse your conscience. That's it. That for some reason, that's what caught my attention. You see, for many years, I've been trying to shut the oozing of the guilt that just comes out of my brain. The guilt and the shame that started 11 years old. I don't want to tell you all that dysfunction. Just suffice to know that at 11 years old, I was polluted. And from 11 years old, all the way after I went to the Marine Corps and got out of the Marine Corps, at the age of 23, I finally found what I was looking for. Or should I say, someone found me. You see, I wasn't looking for him. Someone brought me. It was my girl, ex-girlfriend. And, and for years, you see, I've been trying to pacify this conscience that's always oozing guilt and shame, condemnation, separation. And the voices of loneliness and despair, not having a father, having a working mother who worked to the bones and left us alone at the house and was able to go rampant in our youth and do things that is unthinkable at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Unthinkable. And yet, and yet through God's grace, on one Saturday night concert, it felt like the pastor was speaking just like I'm speaking. He's looking around. But I felt like, you ever seen those old pictures? They're hanging and they, the eyes follow you? Well, that's what I felt. I felt that homeboy was just looking at me. I felt like he just kept looking at me like this. And he kept talking. He is doing this number. To the point where I had to ask my girlfriend, did you tell this dude about me? And she said things like Christianese again. She says, no, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you. I say, he knows too much. It's like, like Roberta Flack's song, Killing Me Softly, with his song. He was killing me softly, man. And he said, you know, that's why. You have to. And he said, would you like to receive the Lord? What does that mean, receive the Lord? My ex-girlfriend whispers, she goes, you need to confess Jesus as Lord if you believe in him. I believe in him, man. Yeah, but you must confess with your, with your mouth. I don't get it. I don't either, she said. <laughs> but that's what I did. That's what, that's what turned you on? Yeah, that's what I had to do. 
well, if you did that, I want to do that too. And no sooner was I up there, like five steps. When people tell me, you used to be an alcoholic, yeah, man. Oh, wow, well, did you go to the step program? Yeah, five steps, that's it. <laughs> Boom, right here. Five steps, that's it. Five steps. So I'm a Christian now, right? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And you're going to blow your mind. Now, I don't speak English very well. I'm a bilingual, you know, problem. I go to Mexico, and they say I'm an American. And I'm over here, they say, you're a Mexican. I don't know where I'm I'm glad I'm I'm just a Christian, man. You know what I mean? But I am bilingual. And and I like to learn new words. I I like the book of Daniel. (laughs) Daniel Webster's, that is. Because the Bible is written in English. And there are some words here like, come unto me, all of you that are heavy laden. What does that mean? Laden. When's the last time you used the word laden? When's the last time you used behold? Behold, make that a burger. You know. So I had to relearn everything. So... But check, check this out. If you don't understand the traditional church where I come from, it's repetitive prayers, right? Repetitive. So, if you have an expensive Bible, the letters are in red, man. Those are the words of Jesus. And, and, and when I was reading, I was reading, I was reading in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. Let me get there, forgive me. And all of a sudden, go to verse 5 of chapter 6. Okay, so you're now a Christian, right? You're only a Christian for one month. Four weeks. I'm reading the Bible, right? I'm reading. I said, I want to read the whole Bible from cover to cover. Of course, when I got saved, you know, they didn't give me the Old Testament, New Testament. They just gave me the New Testament. So I started with the book of Matthew. And then went through Matthew. And went, and went through down the line, Mark, Luke, and John, and went to, to the book of Acts, and then Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all down the line. But I begin in the book of Matthew, four weeks reading. Now I have comprehension. Now I can read the Bible. And you know what? I can understand it. Mind blower. I can understand it. Now, my reading comprehension is not there yet, you see. What happened around a year later after I became a Christian? I couldn't read the Bible real good. So I asked God, God, if you teach me how to read English, I'll serve you. Like that. Now I am a proficient reader. I read, I read, I read, I read, I read, I read. I cannot stop reading. I'm reading right now General Boykin's Never Surrender book right now. Out of sight book on General Boykin. Man, what a trip. Anyway, so you're reading the Bible, okay? And when you pray, you shall not be like the what? Hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, Pancho, born again for weeks, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in secret place 
And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's that? Openly. So far, it's already a, one of those, right? Now, this is, the, this is the whammer right here. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the who? I felt offended. First of all, I didn't understand what the word heathen was. I've never heard the word. Again, you see, I'm introduced to Christianity, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, is that heathen music? I don't know. I think it's jazz. I didn't know the word heathen, so I go to Daniel Webster's. An infidel, an unbeliever, a pagan. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know what? how you describe that? It is a word called tautology. T-A-U-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Tautology. What does that mean? That's tautology. It's expression of words that make no sense. It will be like your child. If you're a father, you're a mother. If you have a child that comes up to you in the morning, you go, whoa, 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 what, what do you want? That's what you call tautology. Repetitive prayers that mean nothing at all. Teach us how to pray. They asked in 11, uh, Luke 11, Teach us how to pray. And then Jesus teaches us that role model prayer that we all say, the Lord, you know, he says, our Father who art thou in heaven. And we have the Lord's prayer. It was just a model prayer. I learned that when I pray to God, I talk to God. He's my friend. He's my defender. He's my shield. He's my rock. He is my attorney. He's my defense attorney. He, he's my advocate. He is my, he's my buckle. He is everything to me. There's been times in my life, in my Christian life, where I've gone through what I would call disabilitating changes. I call those changes, as I share with you, alterings in life. Let me share, since you don't know who I am, let me just share a little bit of that. It will make sense. I wasn't born to be a pastor. Do I look like a pastor to you? And yet I am by the grace of God. I didn't choose that. I don't want to be a pastor. But something happened along the way. And it's one of my, what I would call, alterations. You being altered. It is a modification. Barring a death of a child or the death of your parents or a catastrophic illness. To me, I have seven changes that took place. And in every change, in every change with the exception of the first change. You see, my first alteration, my first transmutation is when I joined the Marine Corps at the age of 18 years old. Right after my birthday, I, I turned 18 and I headed to Camp Pendleton and I went to the Yellow Footprints. And, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I asked myself, Mommy, what have I done? And all of a sudden, I hear this word, we need to take you to indoctrination, boy, indoctrination looks like, sounds like brainwashing to me. Well, that's what they do. They want to take the hoodlum out of you and make you into a fighting machine. 
that told you they're brainwashed? <laughs> We're brainwashed. We're brainwashed. To this day, you know, to this day, I don't want to talk about the Marine Corps. I want, but, but I can't get him out. Uh, it's, just, it's just there. Hoorah, so zipper fire. <laughs> it's a fraternity. Forgive me. But that was that's a, a mind-changing experience, man. But then that was 1970, January, when I went in. But then in 1975, the biggest alteration, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about transmutation. You talk about a change. You talk about a different head, a different philosophical view, a different aspiration, a different view, a different philosophy, a different everything to the point where I was smoking weed. And I said, this is not good. Why? I don't know. But it's not good. It's not good. Throw it away. Throw it away. Throw it away. Why? I don't know. Throw it away. <laughs> you see, I told you I'm bilingual. My best friends were Johnny Walker and Jose Cuervo. Those friends were gone. In, the, in my days, instead of meth, what it is meth today, there used to be a call thing, angel dust. PCP had nothing to do with angels. Has everything to do with Satan. And I couldn't let go of those things. Little shrooms. <laughs> Nothing can take me for my shroom. Get all stupefied. I become a Christian. Five weeks later. Hey, you want a shroom? No, thank you. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Here comes the party man. Poncho's coming. Hey, where's the wild turkey? Where's the southern comfort? Where's that tequila? I, I, I didn't bring any. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and my friends, my family, were beginning now to be concerned for me. He said, Pancho is having something. Something's wrong with him. Why? Well, you see, my room in my house, it was all black. And I had a picture of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and I had quadros- quadraphonic. Remember quadraphonic? It's not sur- now it's called Serrano Sound, or whatever you call that. Serrano Sound. I had four speakers, man. And whew, foxy lady. What? Well, I become a Christian. I said, that's not good. Why? I don't know. But I started taking, took Jimi Hendrix out. I went to a paint shop and I said, I'd like to, some paint. What color? Uh, I'd like to get it white, please. <laughs> what kind? We have antique white, Navajo white, Navajo, what kinds of white? I said, just anything that looks holy. <laughs> Navajo white, Navajo white. So while my mom was at work, I painted in my room. And then I got a calendar of Jesus with a burning heart. And I put that instead of Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, (laughs) Jimmy, move over. Let Jesus take over. (laughs) Right? So my mother walks into the room. 
All the Marine Corps came back. My shoes are squared away. Everything's clean. My rack is tight and everything's clean. I took out the trash, washed everything for her. I felt like I was on, on speed and just cleaned everything. And my mom said, is everything okay? Everything's squared away, mom. Everything's good. I love you. You know that. <laughs> Got to get ready, mom. God loves you. You know that. If you don't pray, you're going to go to hell. You know that. <laughs> That's the way I was. Stupid, I know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that now. Someone said a born-again Christian should be locked up for six months because you're crazy. And that's what I was. But I began to read and I began to understand, wait a minute. So that was my second alteration. And then finally my ex-girlfriend became my girlfriend. In 1976, she said, I love you. And so she fell in love with me. So I said, all right, I'll marry you. No, it was the other way around, man. And you know, I thought I'd get married. Now I'm going to be happy. No, it wasn't. It altered me. That's what they call it, the altar. That's because it alters you, man. It was a different mindset. I wasn't thinking like, again, like a single man anymore. I went through a transmutation. More like transmute. I couldn't speak anymore. I went through a modification. It was now me and someone else for life. Life. My first two months, I said, oh, Lord, for life. For life. Someone who did never like white rice, and she makes white rice. But it was love, and I said, no, but as soon as she gets married with me, we're going to have nothing but Spanish rice. <laughs> After 37 years, I'm still eating white rice. <laughs> wow. And then, so I said, okay, that altered me, being married. And then what do you think the next alteration would be? Being a parent. But instead of one, we got two. <laughs> but check this out. What led my, my girlfriend to go to Jesus? You see, she had an abortion. I didn't want to. She went ahead and had an abortion. I worked two jobs. I told her, I love you. I'll marry you. So she backstaffed me. She went and had the abortion. And that's why I left her. I loved her. She's beautiful. She still is. She's gorgeous. All, her ki- all the kids look like her. They look like me, but they look like her. You know what I mean? Something, it's like mini explosion of both of us. Weird. But eventually, I left her, and she went, and she was seeking the Lord. You see, she was seeking the Lord. No one took her. She was seeking the Lord because she had a need, and she became a Christian. And then to make a long story short, I become a Christian. We get married. And then we found out in the ultrasound back in 1979, that ultrasound. And the doctor says, I hear three heartbeats. For me, I picked it up immediately, three heartbeats. That's one, two, and three. My wife says, why? I said, I think think you have twins. And the doctor says, let's verify. And they verified it. He says, you're going to have twins. We begin to cry and weep. And the doctor thought, how cute. Look at them. They're crying. No, we were crying because we knew that in our stupidity, we had lost one. In his grace, he has given us the other one. Do you understand that? So we had twins. 
Amen. So I had the baby, and I thought, oh, now for once in my life, I have someone to work for. Oh, it was joyful to go to work. It was exciting to go to work. There's a purpose in my life. I want to bring home the bacon. I can't wait to go home and take care of my kids. They alter me. They change me tremendously. I'm a father now of two girls. And then later on, Alex showed up. She was born in 84, Alexandria. And that was it. And then in 1991, another, another alteration big time. You see, I was ordained a pastor. It wasn't my intention to be a pastor. I just started a Bible study with five people. And then we went from five people to 40 and then to 60 and then from 60 to 10. <laughs> and then 10 to 20. And then, and, and, but I committed myself for a whole year. At the end of my commitment, we had around 400 people meeting in a, in a barn, in a barn, a barn, a barn. A barn. <laughs> and there I am. So I, I told my pastor, I said, hey, we, we got a teaching going on. So he sent one of the pastors over there. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. And they went back and says, we're going to ordain. says, you're ordained. What do you mean I'm ordained? I don't want to be ordained. I got a good job, man. I've been doing 16 years in the county. I want to work there for four more years to my 20. Go work 14 years someplace else with my six years military. I got two pensions. Hola. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And my pastor said, fool, you're the pastor. You can talk to me like, wait. I said, fool, you're the pastor. I don't want you to know pastor, man. Look at me. I, do I look like a pastor to you? He goes, you're the pastor. You've been teaching the people. And all of a sudden, I'm ordained. I'm ordained on the same day that we go to war. We go to war in Iraq, January 16, 1991. The same day my son was born, Sebastian. He's 18 now, bigger than me. Taller than me. 18, and I thought that was it. So I became a pastor. Now I'm pastoring. And all of a sudden, at the age of 41 years old, 41 years old, my wife gets pregnant. That's right. My name was Zachariah. And her name was Elizabeth. I don't know how it happened. So, yeah, the baby. And you know, said, praise the Lord. So she had to tell her mother, and I had to tell my mother and the neighbors and, and our children, the older daughter, they go, what? Oh, that's nasty. Why? <laughs> so all of our kids, all of our kids have flower names. We have Bianca Flora, which is white flower, Jasmine Star, Alexander Lavender, so this little girl was going to be called Rose Iris. But at six months pregnancy, she was detected with having AFP, alpha fetal protein, which she was a high risk. We were having dinner and a bubblegum chewing secretary called at the house. And I got the phone. I said, hello. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Uh, the pregnancy test is negative, and, uh, and um, the AFP was positive, and uh, she needs to come tomorrow, stat. The doctor wants to see her. Why? What is AFP? What does that have to do? And she said, just like this, oh, your baby is going to be born with spina bifida or mongoloism. 
Uh, okay, so you need to come. Hung up on me. And I just felt wet. And I told my wife that, and she just got away from the kitchen, and she went into a, 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 a catatonic stage for almost around an hour. And I embraced her. And we went the next day and said, you sure do. You're going to have a child. Let me tell you, there's nothing like a good testing like that for you to pray. God doesn't want you to go out there and have a bunch of repetitive prayers. I went outside, and I began to talk to my friend. I said, Jesus, you've been good to me. I've been good to you too. I don't understand why is this taking place. We already buried mom and we buried dad. And there's things in life already going upheaval, but not this, Lord. Nevertheless, that will be done. So they wanted us to abort the child. We had ethicists coming, speaking to us, showing us pictures of babies or adults with spina bifida. Says, this is how your baby's going to look. But you see, you have to understand that we already done that before we came to Jesus. And we said, if God's going to bless us with a special child, and then God believes that we're special people. We said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But doctors and nurses, all these foreign nightingales, they were always trying to convince us. Like they were looking at us like idiots. Because our chart had red letters, refused amniocentesis, refused abortion, refused termination. And, and every time any nurse came by, wanted to convince us. I go, please, save your comments. We're going to have this child. You're not going to pay for the child. You're not going to raise the child. You're not going to be there for the child. We are. Don't worry about it. So, emergency C-section, uh, scheduled C-section on June 13, 1994. We refused everything. And there they put her to sleep. She didn't want to be awake like the rest of the C-sections in the last three, three, four pregnancies. And the baby comes out. There's no spina bifida. And I, I saw her. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Out loud. You know, there's no shame when you're glorifying God. I said, thank you, Jesus. The nurses and the doctors, don't, he said, don't jump to conclusions. We still need to take a blood test. I said, I don't care. I don't care. As long as she says, Dada, that's all. That, that's all. Not mama, but Dada. <laughs> so they did a blood test. Immediately came back. And you can tell the nurse, you can tell in her face, she just had, she just had, she was glowing. And told the doctor, and the doctor looked at it. And she says, all chromosomes are intact. You have a healthy baby. And all these doctors, for the first time in my Christian life, I wanted to cuss them out. <laughs> oh, I can cuss good. I haven't forgotten how to cuss, man. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I had mem memory selective, you know, that God will just take away. But they're there. I know how to cuss. And you know what? I felt like just yelling at them and about their mama and everything. And I said, <laughs> I said you know what? You know what? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. God's good. And I just rejoicing, rejoicing like an idiot. But I had every right, never reason to it. And what are you going to name this baby? You see, 
the beauty and the beast back in those days was a girl named Belle. Beautiful. I'm reading in scriptures where Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundant. What kind of life? Zoe life. Z-O-E. Not bios like a plant. Z-O-E means God breath life. And I'm reading the gospel of John right before the surgery where Jesus said, I come to give you Zoe life. And I said, the baby's name is beautiful life. Zoe Bell. And she put Zoe Bell and the doctor who's, who's stitching my wife up, he's a Christian. He goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> You're a Christian doctor? He goes, praise Jesus. I'm with you, man. Put us some jazz, Grover Washington. <laughs> he was, me, he had jazz going on. We had, man, he gave me the afterbirth and we we're rapping. And we were, it was a delightful day. So I go and wake up my wife and, and she says, how's Rose Iris? I said, I don't know. But Zoe Bell is doing great. <laughs> and she looked at me, she smiled, she goes, oh, you sucker. I said, yes, she's healthy, she's good, Mel. It's wonderful. Glory be to the Lord. Amen. So far, so good. God is answering our prayers. Here comes 2001, April 6th, on my twin's birthday. My wife is diagnosed with lymphoma meningitis or brain cancer. Here we go again. Here we go again. Lord, we can't go through this. And I hear him saying, I know you can't. You can't do it alone. But I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Trust me. You see, I preach that. I teach that now. Preacher, preach thyself. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I had scheduled to be at Mike McIntosh Church. And my wife was basically, literally is dying on me. I mean, she was dying on me. We went to a doctor. He says, this is, what you, this is what we got to give you. And we said, Lord Jesus, we don't even know what needs to be done. Should we go chemo? Should we not? Ready? Lord, we don't know what to do. Lord, please guide us. And the doctor, neuro-oncologist, up top of the field, said, uh, this is what we're going to do. I didn't like it. Why? I don't know. I said, what do you think, honey? She goes, I don't like it either. Well, then let's tell him. Just tell him we want a second opinion. And when he, he was upset, second opinion, second opinion, Second opinion. I said, that's why we want a second opinion. So we went. We didn't know where to go. We had HMO. We didn't know where to go. We couldn't go very far. So we went to the hospital, and a social worker comes and talks to us to get information about my wife. And she was bubbly. She was all crazy. And I said, whoa, 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 a little wired up for me, but she's happy. Well, this is how you judge people. You know, you're not supposed to judge people. And you, with the courtesy of Christ, was very kind to her. But the reason she was bubbly, because she said, forgive me. I'm so happy. It's just that my son, my son became a Christian. And my son is now a Christian. He was a drug addict. He was alcoholic. He was like Christian now. So and so and so. Oh, how wonderful. Was wonderful. We're Christians. I know. I saw in the chart you're Christians and you're a pastor. And so that's, God bless you. And I said, where did your son uh, know the Lord? He says, it was at a men's conference in Anaheim Convention Center. And I said, where was it? She told me, he goes, I spoke there. You, what's your name? 
Well, my name is Alejandro, but my real name is Pancho. Pancho, he's the one. You're you're the one. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. He says, you gave the invitation. And he came forward. You're the one. And she says, let me help you. How the Lord sends people. She goes, I got connections. Boom. At that time, Jack Lemon was having the same thing my wife had. And he died at the same hospital where my wife had surgery and she was taking her chemo. He died while my wife was still getting treatment there. And we weren't able to see him, but there was enough people there to see their catastrophic units. And there was my wife, baldy like me. Yeah, she had beautiful earrings. Oh, she looked fine, man. I wish she remained bald. She had a beautiful lady. She's hot when she was bald. (laughs) Forgive me. It's my wife. And we prayed, Lord. And then we went to this doctor. And this doctor says, very cocky, very arrogant, but he knows his stuff. He says, hi. He says, we're going to have to drill a hole in your head, in your cranium. We're going to put a little pump in there. And then we're going to put Deposet. We're going to put a little in here. And you like that? And it was worse than the first one. But we said, we like it. Okay. Because we prayed about it. There's peace. We prayed. See, sometimes we don't understand how we pray. Romans chapter 8 says that our spirit groans inside of us because sometimes you don't even know how to pray. What do you pray for? The anxiety, the sorrow, the pain, the hurt, the shame, everything, the attacks, the bombardment, the suffocation, the anxiety, the stress of you not knowing what to do, where to go, who to go, nothing. A thing be through prayer. That's why Paul says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Let your supplications, your prayers, and thanksgiving, let it be known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard. Like what? Your eyebrow? Your mind? And what else? Your heart. Check that out. Tell me, what kind of medicine can you get? where it can become a buffer for your mind and your heart. You see, man is not designed to carry lots of burdens, to have a heart attack. Man is not designed by God to carry worry and stress and mismanagement of life because it's stressful and you're not living a life. You're existing like a cockroach. There's no life. Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundantly. Man, there's testing times are good times for us. I wish them on no one. But see, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that the sorrow of the world produces death. But the sorrow from God produces repentance not to be regretted. It's a different sorrow. We have sorrow as Christians. Some people believe as, long, as soon as you're a Christian, all problems go away. You get a heavenly inoculation against problems. I have no hardship. I have no problems. Every single day is a holiday. Every meal is a feast. Every moment a memory. That's a lie. That's not life. Life has its up and downs, bends, sorrows, stations in life, has deaths, hardships, inconveniences, fractures, disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, broken dreams. That's life. I live a life. I don't live some ivory tower saying, oh, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, and just stay there. I'm in the streets. 
I'm in the freeways, in L.A. freeways, where you can get shot nowadays. That's why you just say hi to everyone. Hi, how you doing, man? Don't mad dog. You're just hi. When my wife began to be healed completely, we said, thank you, Lord. What's next? God is not done with me, but I, knew though, I do know one thing by experience. You see, people like to talk about how God good is. I would say, oh, he's a God of love. How do you know he's a God of love unless you've gone through some bitterness against the things of God? He's a God of joy. How do you know unless you've gone through some deep depression? He's a God of hope. How do you know? Again, you have to experience the bad side to experience the good side. Four kinds of people that came to Jesus. Let me close with this. God sought you out tonight. Number one. In John chapter 9, there's a blind man at the right time, at the right place, and God seeks him. And he seeks the blind man. The second, someone brought you tonight. We are told in Mark chapter 2, there were a sick man, a paralytic man. Four friends brought him down. They brought him just as my ex-girlfriend brought me. The third kind of people are the people that are seeking God tonight. You're seeking God tonight. Like the woman who said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. You see, she was seeking him. Who touched me? He says, who touched me? And, and Peter said, what do you mean who touched you? There's all kinds of people touching you. And you ask, who touched you? He says, no, 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 but I felt power leaving me. He asked again, who touched me? And finally, the lady said, it was I, sir. I just thought if I can touch you, my, my bleeding would stop internally if I... He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then the fourth one, you're standing in intercessory prayer for someone who is not here tonight. And I close with this. In Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we are told that Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Amazing. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.